Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. We have a trade in the NFL to begin hour number three on this Monday edition from 6th and Peabody, Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. The Jacksonville Jaguars are trading wide receiver LaVishka Chenault to the Carolina Panthers, according to Ian Rappaport. So... Chenault leaves Jacksonville in a wide receiving core of, let's see, Marvin Jones, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Agnew, and and Johnson, uh, Willie Johnson. And he now joins a wide receiving core with DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Rashard Higgins, and Terrace Marshall. And they also have another undrafted player who's played well. But now he joins that group. And in Jacksonville, he was used as a Swiss Army knife. He'd get carries out of the backfield, sweeps, uh, quick, quick shot over the middle, and uh, grab and go. It's um, it's an interesting trade for a team that looked like they drafted Chenault to play the role that he was playing. He was doing it well. I like Chenault, uh, but clearly they're changing a little bit under under Peterson. But they're not super deep there, you know. And you suffer an injury with the Jags and. I, I think you're you're gonna feel the, the loss of Chenault. Uh, we don't know the return. Not yet. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly draft. Uh, you would think draft pick. It seems like an odd move for a franchise that is trying to support their franchise quarterback. Agree. Right. I mean, unless well, they did. There's not a great connection between the two. Yeah, I think there may be there there may there's got to be a deeper storyline yeah. here, right? Um, but they, they move him out, and they have now traded C.J. Henderson and Chenault, both drafted in the same draft by Jacksonville. They're now in Carolina. The Panthers loading up with Jags. All those, all those first-round picks, first, second, third-round picks that the Jags have had, uh, you know, you can't keep everybody, well, apparently. It's, it's also crazy those two teams came in the league in expansion the same year. So it's like they almost came in the same year. Okay, now, any big deals? We're going to consult each other first on this. That's the gentleman's agreement between both squads. And so the Panthers got first crack at both these players, and the Jags dealt them to the Panthers. Coming up, our SEC spotlight today will be on the Georgia Bulldogs. And uh, we're about to break down Tennessee's depth chart, which was released. They open the season on Thursday night. We'll have a live broadcast on Outkick 360 from Knoxville as part of our college football kickoff specials that will – take place Thursday and Friday here on OutKick 360. The The schedule for the week ahead in college football, here we go. Week one is here. It's official. We've got five key games for you that we will take a look at right now. We start on Thursday with West Virginia and Pitt. And you get a, a rivalry matchup with two former Southern Cal quarterbacks. Chat. JT Daniels will start for West Virginia, and Keaton Slovis will start for Pitt. Both spent time at USC. Slovis transferring immediately over from USC. JT Daniels, a bit more of a wayward route, went to Georgia, where he started last year as the starter. 
quickly gave way to Stetson Bennett, who went on to win a national championship. So he gone. He goes to West Virginia, wins the starting job. And Pittsburgh, Keaton Slovis replacing Kenny Pickett at Pitt. Pitt also replacing Mark Whipple, who did a hell of a job with that Pittsburgh offense a year ago. So that's a great renewal of a rivalry on Thursday night. Looking forward to that backyard brawl game. Let's move to Saturday. And we start with Georgia and Oregon, the defending champs. And the Georgia Bulldogs taking on the Oregon Ducks. And their former assistant coach is now the head coach at Oregon. Intriguing matchup. We we expect Georgia to eventually pull away. But the, the intrigue here is Georgia replenishing their depth on defense after losing all those starters to the NFL. 15 total players from last year's Georgia team were drafted. No one is doubting the Bulldogs in what Kirby Smart is bringing back, though, based on their recruiting classes. And they bring back a, a savvy, uh, smart veteran quarterback that... I think we can all agree Georgia fans should trust again after what he did in the college football playoff. This is uh, one of the marquee matchups, a 3-30 kickoff for Georgia and Oregon on Saturday. It is a, when you look at two of the biggest games, we're going to get to another one. I don't want to spoil it yet, Mm -hmm. but there's a consistent theme of old school going up against the, with a new school going up against the old school. Dan Lanning taking over to Oregon, immediately leaving Georgia First game out of the gates against his former team. There's another game that's going to be played Saturday Mm -hmm. night that also has a a theme with that. Georgia has the best trio of tight ends, especially when you see where these guys are going to get drafted in the NFL draft. In the history of college football, I don't know that it's close. When you look at Brock Bowers, Eric Gilbert, and Washington, those guys are all going to be draft picks, probably all in the first two or three rounds of the draft. They have a plethora of options at big-time playmaking tight end for Stetson Bennett. Georgia does not have another ranked team, currently ranked team, on its schedule until November 19th. And it's the only currently ranked team on its schedule, Kentucky. So they get a break this year in the West, is what I'm hearing. And their, their West opponents, they get Auburn every year. That's their constant opponent, and they're down. Obviously not ranked. Mississippi State. And Mississippi State's the other one? Yep. Yeah, Mississippi November State 12th. lost Vandy, and they pick up Georgia this year. Also, uh, you know, this ranked opponent that Georgia's playing, they're a 17.5-point favorite in this game against Oregon. And I, I mean, but, I mean, if somebody's going to spring an upset on them, you would say this is one of the two teams with the best chance based on how they're viewed. Well, uh, week one can be tricky. We see it in the NFL. You see it in college football, too. There's usually – you know a lot more about a team after two weeks and what they look like in week two. And a coach week with some insight Week one can be a him. big, tricky proposition for a lot of teams. They look totally different week one to week two. We'll go in order of kickoff here. Uh, also, kicking off at the exact same time, we will get Cincinnati and Arkansas along with Georgia-Oregon uh, on, our, on our TVs this Saturday. So, uh, Arkansas with Sam Pittman – Got the starting quarterback returning. They're replacing Traylon Burks. But we know the tenor and tempo of an Arkansas team now with Sam Pittman coming off a great year a year ago. Cincinnati, on the other hand, while respected by the preseason voters in the regard that they're selected top 25 and they're expecting Cincinnati to, uh, again, uh, be a team that contends in their conference. This is a college football playoff team a year ago. 
And they start this season ranked 23rd because of the talent lost. Of course, Ritter's gone. Sauce Gardner is now playing for the Jets. There are many uh, players off that roster that we're also going to see, um, you know, play play in the league. So, you know, what what does Cincinnati look like against a ground and pound attack from Arkansas? And whenever you start biting up on those runs, what does that do for the Arkansas uh, passing attack, which they are still trying to work out with Traylon Burks now on a roster in Tennessee? Some would argue that uh, Cincinnati being ranked 23rd is a slap in the face for a playoff team a year ago. I would argue it's the ultimate form of respect for people that create these polls, whether it be media members or coaches, because they lost a ton. Pierce on the outside, Sauce Gardner on defense. We're talking high-level draft picks at Cincinnati. Desmond Ritter at quarterback. This is a statement for Luke Fickle's program, not a team, the program that he's built at Cincinnati, that they are now a perennial top 25 team. Even when they lose multiple draft picks at Cincinnati, they find themselves squarely in the top 25 the next year. Arkansas, a six-point favorite at home in this game. Um, I, I think I think the Hogs roll. Yeah, me too. I do too. Because they, Cincinnati is not the same Cincinnati team of a year ago. And I have the utmost respect for Luke Fickle, and they're going to figure it out. And they're going to be really good in this, their final year in the AAC, but not in week one. Chad, the, the game you were alluding to earlier is up next. 7 o'clock kickoff, Saturday night, Florida and Utah, where we see a new-look Gators coaching staff and a lot of questions about what Florida team shows up against a Utah team that is picked to win the Pac-12 and one of the favorites to be like the third or fourth seed in the college football playoff if you think that they're going to be the Utah team of the preseason hype. Right now they're ranked seventh, but they are. this is one of those marquee matchups for them right out of the gate. On the road, at the Swamp, they return a vast majority of their main contributors from their team a year ago. Very well coached. And again, a new coaching regime in Florida where we, we see if the Gators, if it was a coaching malpractice issue down the backstretch of the season where they melded in or if they were talent depleted for whatever reason. It's certainly not going to be a coaching volume issue now at Florida because they have 145 of them on staff yeah. at Florida. So they're, they're not going to be outnumbered when it comes to coaching at Florida. This is going to be the overreaction game of the year for week one because if Utah goes to Swamp and wins, we are going to hear nothing but about how Utah yeah. is a legitimate national championship contender after this game. If Billy Napier wins game one at Florida at home in that atmosphere against a top 10 opponent, we are going to hear nothing but about how great Florida is and how they're back and how we should all be watching the Gators the rest of the year. And those things may be true based on the outcome, but I know for sure we're going to overreact to it one way or well, the other. This Utah roster, though, it is a team and a style built to to win anywhere. Well, to go the on the road and win. Cam Rising, it, it's hard to route. He protects the football. He's great at analyzing a defense, and he gets the ball out fast. He, he he figures out where to go with it, and generally makes the right call. And that that that's the reason for hope because the vast majority of their returning starters are on offense. They they're getting help from the transfer portal on defense, 
and we, we get to see if, uh, Paul, if the new coaching staff with uh, Florida is going to make any bit of difference here. Well, I think it's way early to say a Utah win over Florida establishes Utah as a national title contender. But I think Utah, I'm not going to say national title contender. I'm going to say playoff contender. Uh, I think they're going to be a playoff contender. I think they're going to beat Florida. Um, I think people are too high on Florida too soon. They may be okay, but I think it takes a while for those 140 coaches to uh, get their imprint on this What worries you about Florida the most? Because I I know where it comes down for me. Well, I I think you're overly reliant on, on the quarterback to make plays both both ways, and I think he's going to face pressure. Here's why I'm not going to touch this game, uh, betting it one way or the other. Utah has not seen many guys like Antonio Richardson. So that, to me, is a, the great X factor. I mean, from a physical standpoint, he's much better even than this guy, but Justin Herbert comes to mind that they would have seen in the Pac-12. I'm just saying as a program – you're not seeing Antonio Richardson's in the Pac-12. Now, he can be erratic. He battled injuries last year. There's a reason he wasn't named the starter by Dan Mullen also, but the way that guy can sling it and, you, yeah, and no, can run over people, and he is 6'6". And you mean Anthony Richardson, not Antonio. Sorry, yes. Anthony Richardson. Who is Antonio Richardson? Why, why do I keep wanting to say Antonio? high school player that we call back I feel in the like day. Anto- no, Antonio, Tiny Richardson was uh, Antonio Richardson, a high school player from Innsworth that played at Tennessee. That's the name that keeps popping in mind. Anthony Richardson is about as big as old Tiny Richardson was. He's 6'6", 245 pounds. He is a Cam Newton type physically. Utah's not seeing a lot of that. The erratic is a, is a big part for me. Look, I think Utah should win this game, but I'm just, I, I wouldn't touch it either way because it's hard for me to tell. I don't, I don't find him erratic at all, Paul. I, I think he's a great NFL prospect, Anthony Richardson. Did he's, we say the spread on this? Yeah, it's like it was one and a half to open. It may be up to two and a half now. Yeah, I'll, I'll go check. I'll, the, I'll double check it to make sure. But no, Johan, you're right. Um, I was reading something where they pulled five NFL scouts, and he was the consensus top quarterback yeah. taken in terms really? of ability. Well, yeah, two and a half. I mean, he's two and a half. His now. size and arm, arm strength, and he's dual threat. I mean, they're going to run an RPO system there, and that will that will be unveiled on and be on full display against Utah. I, here's the thing that it comes down to for me is are we going to see a Florida team that shows up the same way LSU did on the road last year at UCLA? How, how often does it happen where you see an SEC team pushed around by the Pac-12? It Not doesn't really. happen. And UCLA was dominant in the trenches. And I think there are a lot of people overlooking Utah in the trenches in this game. That's where I think Utah wins. And... That's where Florida got pushed around in November of last year. Missouri. You know, it, they're, the way that team, and they're fully capable of recruiting and, and piecing some things together. But the whole thing unraveled at the end of last year, and I haven't been able to get it out of my mind the way they finished the season, Chad, and the way Dan Mullen bowed out. I don't think you, I don't think you correct that in one offseason. And they're getting the wrong opponent, to me, at the wrong time. This is one of those statement games for Utah, and they've been waiting on this. Coming off last year, Whittingham will have them ready to go, and they have the right quarterback to go on the road in the swamp and stay poised and stay in control of the game. And then week two? I think it's a great game, though. Oh, terrific matchup. And then in week two, Florida hosts Kentucky. Yes. Yep. Big start. 
Again, I talked about the Cincinnati program, Utah, Kentucky. Those are two programs right now. Billy Napier hasn't had, clearly not had enough time to implement his program yet. I love that for Florida, though. I know that's not what their choice would have been if they knew they had a new head coach coming in, but I love starting with two big games as opposed to two cupcakes, which that's is That's normally not the case for them. They tradition. normally have a bye week, too, before they play Tennessee, and that's not the case this year. Um because they played, what, the final week in September? The 24th, I believe, is when they'll go yep. on the road to Knoxville. They could be 1-2 and two at that time. Yeah, they, they could be 3-0, and oh, too. They get a cupcake in that third game before Tennessee. Um, and finally, are our top five to watch is going into the final, the, the first week of the, the college football season. Notre Dame and Ohio State. The Irish on the road. Marcus Freeman takes over for Brian Kelly. We, we know they came out of the shoot and they named their sophomore starter in week two of, uh, of camp. And this is where it's hard not to look at the – it's hard not to buy into the rankings and say, man, this is a marquee matchup. But there is a considerable gap between the second-ranked team right now in the country and Notre Dame ranked fifth. I know it sounds crazy. I think the Buckeyes roll in this matchup. And I, I just think it's going to take more time for Notre Dame to get some things together. And when you hear other coaches say, Brian Kelly left Notre Dame, and the minute he took the job at LSU, he had better football players on that roster. A roster that had how many available for their bowl game? 35, 35 32. Scholarship players. And coaches, college coaches, on or off the record, were saying, the talent they're inheriting at LSU, do not sleep on them in year one with Brian Kelly if they get the quarterback pick right. Well... Here's Notre Dame left. Marcus Freeman takes over. And while I, I love Marcus Freeman, this is a baptism in week one that no one would sign up for. Three spot difference. 17 and a half points. 17 and a half yeah, points. We pointed this out plays earlier. This right is, to your point. Ohio State might be, I mean, you can make an argument. They should be ranked number one in the country preseason. They even, have the if, even if they were top quarterback and top wide receiver in the country right now. Even if they were, a, a four-spot difference to be 17 and a half points illustrates right. the problem the, with, with the, the top reason, of college football. Yeah, well, the reason why you would go with Alabama, Bryce Young's the returning national champ, and you have Will Anderson, who is the best. Uh, he, he's the best edge rusher by far. Like, if we're just going to throw that, no one's going to argue with that. You could say he's the best college football player in the country, and you can make that argument for Will Anderson off the edge. So Alabama is, is deserving of the spot, too. But it is, to me, Chad, it is Ohio State and Alabama and everyone else is in the fight for three and four. I really think the only way Ohio State does not win the Big Ten is if they've been listening to their own praise all offseason yeah. and somehow get too cocky and start taking things for granted because it's such a foregone conclusion that they're going to be the Big Ten representative in the college football playoff, and they should be based on talent. This was the game I was actually talking about, similar to Georgia-Oregon. Marcus Freeman played at Ohio State. Now, in game one of the regular season, I know he coached against Oklahoma State in the Fiesta Bowl last year, but his first regular season game is against his alma mater as head coach at Notre Dame going up against Ohio State. I like the intrigue of that. I don't think this game's going to be very intriguing by midway through the third quarter. Notre Dame has depth issues at wide receiver. They've suffered other injuries there throughout camp, and they already had depth issues there. They are going to try to shorten the game by running the football. And then there's Ohio State that 
can win in uh, just a, so many different ways. And, and it also factors in where they're playing this game for week one. So some marquee matchups on teams and, and, and programs. But really, and, and Pitt, Pitt, West Virginia could end up being a good game. I shouldn't overlook that as one of our five. But really, the game I'm glued to is Florida-Utah, personally. Yeah, I, I, hopefully it's a better game. Um, and we can just flip away to the other well, one, which is, I think, right on track to be uh, over that 17 and a half. I am a bit surprised, though, with Arkansas and Cincinnati, just to see what Luke Fickle does off of last year playing the SEC program out of the gate and replenishing talent with the new quarterback, new look defense with some of the playmakers there. Um, plenty of storylines, but some of these games are over by halftime. Speaking of Georgia... Coming up, our SEC spotlight continues. We take a look at the Bulldogs. Coming off the title win, Kirby Smart rolling it back with Stetson Bennett, who is back for what feels like the 15th consecutive season at Georgia. And what is a remarkable uh, turnaround for his college football career. They're now looking for back-to-back runs into the college football playoff. After losing to Bama in the SEC championship game, they win the title game, and now they open up against one of their former assistants in Oregon. We'll preview their season next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Some news with the 49ers as we welcome you back to Outkick 360. Jimmy Garoppolo is staying with the 49ers, a restructured contract. Paul will give us the particulars on the numbers that's being reported by Schefter and, and Ian Rappaport. But by restructuring this deal, he's back. It's a very good backup situation for San Francisco. It's also very clear that this is Trey Lance's team going forward. It already was because he hasn't been around. He hasn't been practicing with this team in eight months. He's been rehabbing if he's even at the facility. But the, the numbers alone indicate who the starter and backup will be, and this is very incentive-based if Garoppolo ever sees the field. So he was due $24 million. We knew he wasn't getting that and that something had to change. This is actually Mike Garofolo says the new deal is worth $6.5 million fully guaranteed with incentives that can push it close to $16 million. So this creates the awkward dynamic where Garoppolo is rooting against Trey Lance. I mean, he can't not because it could make him nine and a half million dollars more if he could play. So he wants Trey Lance to, uh, you, know, you hate to say get hurt, but he, he wants him to play poorly so that he would get in the lineup to have a chance to earn yeah. some of these incentives. It's not the best. I saw a comment from Trey Lance paraphrased lately where he was talking about his relationship with the other two quarterbacks who have been participating through camp in the preseason and saying, you know, I've got a pretty good relationship with them. I only really see Jimmy in passing because he's not participating. There was an agreement there. They, they, um, with the organization and Jimmy G, 
they so the six and a half is intriguing because he's not he's probably not getting that in a true backup role if he's released. He's gonna so that's good money for a backup job. It allows him while no I'm, trade clause, no, no tra- tag exactly. clause, no trade clause year. and no tag clause, which means at at worst he backs up Trey Lance, who does not get hurt, and Garoppolo, who is notoriously banged up, is exactly. coming off the shoulder surgery and shoulder rehab, has now another five or six months to rehab and get himself right, and he is guaranteed to be a free agent after this season. He's healthy and to he's go wherever Mitch he wants to go. Trubisky at the very least next year. Yeah. But he's had way more success than Trubisky, though he has a history of injuries. But he's an intriguing option for somebody next year, you would think. He could make up to $10 million more on the contract, though, if he plays. Yes. There's a, there's a weird feeling about this where, and this is just how it, football happens sometimes, where it's, it, it's kind of like whenever you, you, you draft Corral, you still have P.J. Walker, and you have Darnold, and you go and trade for Mayfield. Turns out, going into the season, they needed all four, and P.J. Walker is going to be the backup in Carolina for Baker Mayfield. This feels as though they're going to need him at some point. The bleep, same way they needed habits. Trey Lance a year ago. Yep. And we know what San Francisco does with Shanahan and Garoppolo. I don't they know win how to feel. in the regular season. I, I was talking about my difficulties in the NFC, and I think the last NFC playoff team is going to be bad. Uh, the way it was last year, it wasn't a good football team. It was the Eagles, if I'm not mistaken, and the Eagles will be better this year. But um, – I don't know how to feel about the 49ers. I, you know, I think the Titans have a floor based on the quality of their coach, right? And I've, I've written that, that the best thing the Titans have going for them with, with the deficiencies they have, they have a certain amount of talent, but the deficiencies they have on the offensive line and at wide receiver, I think Mike Vrabel can make up for. They played 91 guys last year, and they were the best team in the AFC record-wise. And why, why did they overcome that stuff? Because their coach is very good. I think San Francisco's a little bit like that, that Shanahan has a floor on them. They'll be a certain level of good because he's a certain level of good. Though I have a lot of trouble right now feeling uh, confident in them. See, I hear this move just from Garoppolo's standpoint. I understand the thinking behind it on both sides. I mean, it's great for San Francisco to have a trusted option at backup if, if your guy gets hurt. Um, I think Garoppolo just signed himself up to be a career backup from here on out. I picture him He's coming in. He's going to go somewhere else after this year and be a backup quarterback. I picture him coming in for a hurt Lance and getting hurt. <laughs> like two and a half games. Yeah, I, I just see yeah. you know his route to maintaining, um, maintaining some starter status to me was they find a trade partner that needs him, goes in, wins a job, starts for at least half of this season, and then he can either stay with that team or go somewhere else. I'm not he saying needs this to be the, on a less good I'm team. I'm not saying this is, is what the, you're saying. Yeah, I'm not saying this is a bad decision for him or the wrong decision for his career or any of that. If he's happy in San Francisco and want to do this, great. It's a good situation for the 49ers. I just believe this is Jimmy Garoppolo going right back to what he was in New England. He's going to be a backup quarterback now for the rest that. of his career. He needs to be more. Well, I, I think the circumstances could change if he could get himself in a Carson Wentz situation. You know where he was, got to be really bad with a good team. But if he gets with a bad team, all of a sudden he can look a lot better. But the health is the thing. Can, see, can he stay Carson upright? Wentz was never a backup. I mean, he was never electing to be a backup quarterback. 
I think Jimmy Garoppolo has assigned himself now as a backup quarterback moving forward. Well, he had no choice right now, Chad. No, I know he didn't because they weren't going to release but him. But a year from now, well, they were might. going to release him. They were going to release him, and he would sign somewhere and be a backup quarterback this year. Well, he could have signed somewhere and competed for a, a starting role. He could have if the shoulder I mean, wasn't an issue. If he, could have, if he could have signed in April. The competition's over well, now, though. But either way, he's signing up to be a backup quarterback. If the shoulder's an issue and he doesn't want to go compete somewhere, he knows he's not the starter in San Francisco. Well, there's no competition to be had now is what he's saying, and I agree no, with. He, if he could no have got out in April, if he could have got out in April, he could have gone and competed somewhere, but the shoulder was an issue. If Daniel Jones sucks, they're going to bench him. I, they, if Trey Lance sucks, they may bench him too, and he may play there, so it may be null and void. But my point is, staying there, yes, he can still go in and play if Trey Lance gets hurt, but there's the 49ers chose Trey Lance over you by drafting him and saying you're right. not good enough to be the starter here. That's true. I know it's not likely in this late in the game. It's not like he's going to go in, be handed the playbook, and start in week one, and he's certainly not going to be appointed the starter. But if he gets cut, he could have gone somewhere with a more favorable situation with an older quarterback, with a worse quarterback, whatever you want to say, and eventually competed for the starting job. I'm not saying this is right or wrong for his career. He may be just very self-aware right now, but this is him saying, I am a backup quarterback from here on out. I don't know. That's the message I get from, from him. We'll see next spring. I would have thought that about Mitch Trubisky, and Mitch Trubisky could be a starting quarterback for a while now, and Mitch Trubisky a year from now could have rehabilitated himself to be a Carson Wentz again. We'll revisit in yeah. a couple of years. We'll see. And maybe he, maybe the truth is he's not 100%. Yeah. Sometimes rehabs are you, you lie about them. You know, sometimes a guy comes back too fast and he wishes he didn't. Sometimes so, you need a secondary cleanup surgery that maybe we yeah, didn't I don't, know I don't think it's that. I don't think you restructure him this way if it's – if he's not available for you for six and a half, no, million, but he could have had guaranteed. it along. Could have had it along the way. I, I think there's an argument to be made that Jimmy Garoppolo is a backup quarterback, regardless of this decision moving forward in his career from here on out. But, and I'm not second guessing his decision. There's a reason he made it. That would just be the message sent to me if I'm an executive across the league. But I think this he's unquestionably better than Daniel Jones, Geno Smith. Uh, you know, the bad version of Davis Mills. Yeah, uh, and those teams wouldn't trade for him. So, therefore, he had no option. Right. I'd rather have Davis Mills. I would right now, but uh, oh, maybe hey, not halfway through the season. Let, let's not throw in the, the, the book on, on San Francisco, Paul. You, you said you didn't know what to expect from them. I mean, they, they, could, they could be one of the lead horses here. They could. It's, mean, a bad, it's a bad NFC, too. Well, not, I mean, this is, they have a lot of talent on that roster. They do. Defensively, you know, Fred Warner's now at linebacker. You've got Bosa coming off 19 and a half sacks if you count the postseason, which, I mean, it should count for him. I, I'm not counting on Trey Lance is my issue. Trey Lance has been, has been okay, though, in, the, in what I've seen yeah, and but, watching him. They have Elijah Mitchell coming back. They're healthy in the backfield. Debo Samuel's happy. George Kittle's at tight end. And they've won Brandon before Ayuk with has been Garoppolo, much better this offseason than last. I believe. Uh, I Jawan believe in, Jennings is a great possession guy. Yeah. He comes up in big moments on third down for them. It's uh, it's that. I they, believe in Shanahan. Too. This backup option keeps them alive. Is what and and that's what Trey Lance would do for them last year. It's and instead, you know, without Garoppolo, you you're without Lance. Your season's pretty much done at that point, right? 
No, they expressed a, and, and gave a pretty good contract to the backup whose name I consistently don't remember. The, the guy who was uh, Nate now number Sudfeld. three. Sudfeld. Yeah. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. Guys, let's take a look at the uh, Georgia Bulldogs when we come back. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap up by looking at Georgia coming off of their championship season and what we expect for Kirby Smart and his group running it back with 15 of those players now drafted playing in the NFL. That's next to Now Kick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'll kick 360 rolls on. If you're a fan of Hard Knocks, Devin Funchess got cut by the Lions. So did uh, Khalil Pippleton. You're ruining it for me. <laughs> You're spoiling the next episode. They're gonna wait two I'm, weeks. I'm he kidding. apparently was a hero. I'm kidding. They'll they'll probably cover this. It's usually like you know four or five day lag. They'll they'll cover it. Did you? Are they, were they playing? Night, it? They'll were, cover it. Were they playing it? Oh, okay. Yeah, it'll be on tomorrow night. Were they playing it up like Pimpleton? That's a one day lag. Uh, Pimpleton was. Here's what's odd about this season of it though. There's not a lot of those stories. Um, Obina Eze. Right from here in Nashville, Davidson Academy, who played at Memphis and TCU. Uh, he's one of the stories. And then Pimpleton was a big part of with his family this, this last episode. Did you fall in love with him? Like, you, like, no, the, like the guy you, from Houston I, that got I tell cut? you who most of America's fallen in love with. It's Aiden Hutchinson's female relatives, both sisters and mother on the show. Including HBO. Spectacular. They're, they're in love. <laughs> oh, well, they, yeah, they, they had the first episode they were in there. Now, every time they play, you know, they're up they're in the suite up. with them, mic'd up. <laughs> the best was the look on their face, the way they looked at each other when they found out Marcus Mariota played for the Falcons. They said, in a quarterback for the Falcons, Mariota on the announcement. And they both looked at him and said, Mariota? And had this wide-eyed look on like, he plays for the Falcons? He's there. He's starting. And he hasn't sucked, believe no. it or not. Paul, go ahead. I'm setting you a ball he'll in the be hurt. He'll be hurt in no time. Um, Georgia. They're not hurting for top recruiting classes, which is why they're predicted to be right back in the SEC championship game, predicted to be back in the college football playoff off of their national championship. Their defense was incredible. And, and that's even the wrong word to use in, in description. They were better than incredible last year. Generationally elite might be more specific. I don't know if you can be better like top to bottom, with what they were allowing on scoreboards. 10 points allowed per game. They had three shutouts. And they allowed seven points or less eight times throughout the season. They sent a ton of players to the NFL. We know that things will change. They only allowed 20 points one time, and that's including Alabama's 41 uh, in the SEC championship game. Over under three and a half opponents scoring 20 on Georgia this year, knowing that many of the starters from last year are now in the NFL. I'm going to go over on that, and and here's why. I, I love Georgia to win the East, and I love them to be a player nationally this year. But Kirby Smart is now into the 
era of figuring things out, much like Nick Saban has to year after year in losing a ton of guys in the NFL draft. They're capable of doing it because of the level at which they recruit. But it's not as easy as just it's, it makes it a lot easier. Don't get me wrong. But when you plug in almost a completely new starting lineup on one side of the ball, there tends to be growing pains when you lose that many guys, even if you're plugging in four- and five-star guys behind yep. them. Yep. So I do think that they're going to struggle at times this year defensively. Now, the good news for Georgia is I think they're going to be much better on offense, even though they lost Zamir White and James Cook, their top two running backs. They're going to plug and play. Yeah. With the guys that played, Kenny McIntosh being one of them, guys that played a year ago behind them, there's going to be no drop-off at running back. There's going to be an elevation at receiver and tight end. Stetson Bennett's only going to get better, and the offense is going to balance that, that change on defense out. I'll go over as well. I'd say Oregon, Tennessee, Mississippi State, Kentucky maybe could, could all get there. Um, but – I'm, I'm with Chad. You I think, think th- do you, real quick. Do you think three and a half is a good number here? Over under? Yes. I do, based on the fact that I found those four. Did Tennessee uh, get there last could year? Could you find a fifth? Did they score? That, I don't think you could find a fifth. They scored twenty-four. They scored twenty-four. They scored seventeen. They scored seventeen. Tennessee I mean, did. I wow. think the fifth one. candidate would be Florida. So, and I, I don't have a lot of confidence <laughs> yeah, so, there. Yeah. So, but when you can look at like, their schedule, I mean, also, I think I mean, they're opening up against Oregon. Like, it's. And, and when you can, I'm comparing it. They're not going to be last year's defense, right? We will we will not see that. I don't know if we appreciated it enough because we wanted more competition. But in a world where we kind of already know the college football playoff, that was still so good. Yeah, eight different opponents scored seven or less. I think that's crazy. Chad raises a, a fantastic point about the offense kind of rising where the defense might fall off, but well, replenishing the defense and having it coalesce to the degree not to be as good as last year but just to this is like you said chad a team that hit a a real high level and to sustain that is a whole new challenge not to sustain it numerically but to sustain it you know uh, to any level no matter how good the new coming talent when you lose that much talent to pick up and kind of carry on where you left off is a whole new kind of challenge, and that's a big deal. I think it's being underplayed nationally, just presuming Georgia picks up where they left off. Chad, I'm taking the over, and it's it's more – it's not a knock on Georgia as much no. as it is. I've got more respect going into the season for the quarterback play in this conference than I did a year ago. So uh, Hendon, better Hendon Hooker, Will Rogers, to me, those two quarterbacks can put up 20 points – against Georgia here, right? We're not even talking three touchdowns. We're just 20 points. Um, I think Anthony Richardson at Florida could be a problem for them also. Will Levis should be better. We have been sold this down-the-field, big-arm quarterback, NFL-arm quarterback talent in Kentucky. He's got to be better than what we saw last year with the touchdown-to-interception ratio and the overall consistency. So I, I could lean Kentucky, too, in what I think is going to be a, a, a really good game. But even, even that, this is still a Georgia team that is going to blow out a vast majority oh, of their yeah. opponents. So, yeah. And I think, I think, honestly, it starts in the first game and, and you might against be getting, Oregon. And we might be talking about getting 20 points in mop-up duty for one of these games. Well, it, it, I, I think they, they blow out Oregon to start the season. It's going to be very SEC-like for Bo Nix, who 
routinely got baptized by Georgia's defense when he was at Auburn, and now he gets to do the same at Oregon yep. as he transfers over. Here's what pisses me off about Georgia now and the, the <laughs> rarefied air that they're in is that they lose Dan Lanning to a top job. He goes from defensive coordinator, not even a head coach, never been a head coach, defensive coordinator to head coach at Oregon. And they replace him with Will Muschamp, who's been a, a head coach in the SEC multiple times, who is a Georgia grad, who's been a defensive coordinator at Texas and LSU and Auburn before this. There's no draw. You could argue they just took a step up in a defensive coordinator. I mean, I know he's co-coordinator with, right. with Glenn Schumann, but that's, that's an amazing thing to have, that you had a guy as defensive analyst after he got fired at South Carolina for his buddy Kirby Smart. Then he was a, a full-time staff member a year ago. And, okay, now we're going to give you a $600,000 a year raise, and you're going to be co-defensive coordinator. What a luxury for George to have from a, a coaching standpoint. That adjustment is not going to be a problem at all for them. From losing Dan Landing, who's now the head coach at Oregon, against them to elevating Will Muschamp. And that's where I say it pisses me off. It's because I want to see better competition across the conference, and I don't think we're getting that anytime soon with Alabama and Georgia because they are, they are heads and shoulders above everyone else right now on each side of each division. What do we expect of Stetson Bennett? I, I've written it out, Kick. I think it's one of the more underplayed storylines of the college football season, that you have a national championship winning quarterback with his background and storyline. He's not going to the NFL. To me, that amplifies the story that he's back at Georgia after breaking the, the drought of 41 years. For the first time in 41 years, they open the season as the defending national champions. And it's because of Stetson Bennett's play, who was the Orange Bowl MVP. It's an, it's an incredible story of growing up wanting to be the quarterback at Georgia, ending up there, told he wasn't good enough, left, played elsewhere, nearly went to Louisiana, and instead got a call to come back to Georgia where he was jumped over again in recruiting and then ends up taking over and winning the job. The, I, he can be better than what he was last year, and it's still not get far enough recognition because of we're seeing a quarterback who is not going to be in a camp a year from now, right? Like that, I think that hurts him in a way, but at the same time, like he's perfect for what they do. They're going to be heavy run. He's very good at just getting the ball out. We saw him throw the football, throwing to win in the college football playoff after not playing well in the SEC quarter. championship game. I, I wonder what that, winning in that moment, what it does for a guy like him, knowing that this is his final year with a chance to really make some history. After and already doing it. And, and if he falters, you know you're going to hear the names behind him, right? There's sure, three got, guys. Yeah. And they've got five stars. All young. They've got five stars ready, Chad. But Carson Beck, Brock Vandergriff, I think two of the yeah. guys. You right, would right love Brock him. and Gunnar Stock, Stockton. Yeah. Here's what's great about Vandergriff is the perfect I SEC also, I, I quarterback. Just, I name. don't think we're going to hear so those Stetson names. Bennett, the fourth. Yeah. I don't think we're going to hear those names as quickly. Stetson Bennett, a guy that once was at Jones, Mississippi Community College, and is now a national championship winning quarterback with a chance to repeat. Uh, I think he's going to be a lot more confident and secure in his position as the guy at Georgia this year. And I think that's only going to help him. He's not replacing JT Daniels like he was a year ago. He's not, you know, floundering all over the place in a loss like he was the year before and getting replaced. This is his team now. I, I, I think that he's 
going to be very secure in this being his team. I, I think we're going to see a step up in play from him. I'm going to give a shout-out to uh, a former uh, production assistant, Jeremy Neighbors, massive Georgia fan. Yep. Watches our show all the time, listens to it on podcasts as well. Randomly, two weeks ago, he sends a text to me out, out of nowhere. And it says, a freshman to possibly watch for in Athens is wide receiver Dylan Bell. He's not highly touted, but he's getting praise from practice reports on podcasts I listen to. He's from the Houston area. So there you go. I wanted to mention that because no one's talking about Dylan Bell, except for Jeremy Neighbors, who is you know, treats Georgia football like his, like his religion. So shout out, Jeremy. And uh, we hope to see you at Six of Peabody. I don't know if I ever got the full story from Jeremy on why he's a Georgia fan. I think he played at Good Pasture or Gallatin. He's from that area. He's from here. I've got. I don't know. I don't understand the connection to Georgia. I have more respect for him being a Georgia fan, growing up a Georgia fan, because again, normally you gravitate to who's winning all the time. And it's not like Georgia's winning all the time. Even when Rick was there, they had high expectation, but not winning all the time. So I. It's. I feel different about this than. Oh, I oh, he, grew, he grew up in the South, but he's not from Alabama. But he's a huge Tide fan. Well, typically people go for their contrarians. They go for the team that regularly oh, beats yeah. the in-state popular team. So we have a lot of people our age that are miraculously Florida or Alabama fans, based on if they're beating Tennessee. I give him full credit because in his lifetime, Georgia hasn't always been beating Tennessee. No doubt. So that's not the reason he picked it. Roster cuts need to be finalized tomorrow. It will be a jam-packed show for OutKick 360. Tons of football all week. College football is back, and we are on our road to week one across the NFL. Hope you'll join us. Please, please don't block the box and lock your locks.